0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Views from the Safety Guard Podcast. My name is Paul and today is our Mexico Grand Prix episode. Uh, we'll kick it off with a little bit of a discussion of the disqualifications that happened at the United States Grand Prix last weekend and a little bit about why that happened. Uh, of course, we'll go into our track preview and t- talk a little bit about the track history and also... Uh, talk about mexico as a part of our country not a quiz portion Then, lastly we'll finish it off with a discussion of f1 academy what it is and uh, why it's important so stick around for that uh this is a good episode hope you enjoy it and here's the show <laughs> All right, two weeks in a row now, we're, we're uh, crushing it in the podcast space. This is our Mexico Grand Prix episode, and uh, yeah, lots of craziness after the, the past race. Um, there's a bunch of disqualifications. Did, did you guys see that about the disqualifications after the last race?
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, it uh, led to Logan Sargent getting his first ever F1 uh, ever uh, points in Formula One. At, at the U.S. Grand Prix.
0: Naturally, uh, you know, many I think of that the, the disqualifications uh... were in the top, like uh, top five. I think both. I think there was two disqualifications, right? And the, both were in the top five. It was um, Lewis Hamilton, who had second place yep. before he got disqualified. And then it was um, Charles Leclerc, who had fourth place before he wow. got disqualified. So that what it meant is Lando, who got third place, moved into second. So he, he got upgraded. And then Carlos Sainz, who was in fifth, he got he got a podium. He got third. So, yeah. Amazing. Yep. And of course,
1: Logan Sargent, who finished in down in 12th place, uh, got bumped up into 10th. So now he has a point. He's no longer pointless. <laughs> Hell yeah. S- yeah, yeah Some I've... are saying that the, that that the um, it, it's you know, it's a controversy where they're just trying to get the American points at the American Grand Prix. But, uh, you know, I don't know how much I, I read into that. I think
0: the um, likelihood of that is unlikely. Um, Speaking of podiums, I don't know. I don't know if you guys saw this. Did you hear about the, uh, did you watch it to the end? Did you see the booing on the, uh, on the podium at the end? Yeah. Yeah, I I did. Yes. so, so they had, they had Greg Abbott, uh, governor of Texas, passing out the, um, (laughs) the awards. And so he passes it out to Max first. And so there's this debate on whether or not it was um, if people were booing Max or if they were booing Greg Abbott. I think that they're probably booing Greg Abbott, but it is a big uh, Mexican um, Grand Prix. It's uh, it's probably the second largest Grand Prix for Mexico fans outside of Mexico, I'm sure. And uh, lots of them are Checos, So I could see an argument for them booing Max, but who knows? Yeah, I think certainly they were booing Greg Abbott. I think a lot of uh, U.S.
1: fans in general would also uh, boo Greg Abbott. He's not uh, particularly popular
0: anywhere except for Texas. Yeah. So I thought yeah, that was just kind of funny. Uh, remember, you said you were looking up an article, though, about the uh, disqualifications and why they got disqualified? Yeah, of course. I think everybody wants to know all about skid planks. Right? So, uh,
1: <laughs> so so, so just, just in terms of the, the why it happened— um, so so they, they actually check, F1 checks four cars at the end of every single race um, for, for the skid planks, which are a piece of wood underneath the car that's meant to protect uh, the, the, the undercarriage of the car, um, and make sure that it's at a certain level of, um, make sure it's a certain width um, by, by the time that the race is over. Um, so the four cars that happened to be checked at the end of this race were Max. Max's car, uh, Lando's car, Hamilton's car, and Chuck. So it's, it's random, but they check the top four. So uh, <laughs> how random really is it? Uh, that's a good question. Who knows? Um, and interestingly enough, so they are not able. It, 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 after Friday morning's practice, nobody was allowed to modify the car anymore. If you modified the car then you were locking yourself into a pit lane start on the race for sunday but this race weekend um had a lot more bumpiness than originally anticipated partially because apparently two weeks before the race there was a truck competition at the circuit that involved the trucks doing jumps and landing on the circuit so there were a lot more bumps than normal Um, and so, so that definitely would impact the bottom of the car. And it was also for the first time in Austin, it was a sprint race weekend. So you basically had to set up the car for, on Friday. And then weren't, if you, if you tried to do any modifications to it, you were locking yourself into a pit lane start. So I think that's why... Um, these cars were impacted, and I'm sure that if they had taken a sampling more than just these four cars, a lot more cars would have gotten disqualified.
0: Yeah, I just think the the fact that they had a, a, a uh, basically a monster truck rally it seems like you know, <laughs> a few days prior on the Circuit of the Americas is pretty funny. Yeah,
1: I was trying to I was trying to find highlights of it because in my head I kept imagining eighteen uh, wheelers instead of like monster trucks.
0: Yeah. It's probably trophy truck racing, um, which is what they use to when they do those desert races. It's these, um, you know, quarter million to half billion dollar tr- custom made trucks that have crazy suspension and are capable of doing those jumps. I, that's what I would guess it was. But yeah, that's. It. I think it's also funny that they, as a part of all these Formula One cars and the rules for Formula One, that they're required to have basically like a piece of plywood on the bottom you have all these carbon fiber cars and then it's like oh let's throw a piece of plywood on the bottom i i from my understanding of the rules i I think that the that that piece of plywood there is um there um to measure they they basically don't want cars running too low is what i understand and so if the piece of plywood gets worn away um it's supposed to be like you mentioned a certain width uh at the end of the race and they measure it again and if too much has worn away then they know that the car has been running too low right that's a key
1: indicator of that because of the friction that would be lost by the car hitting the 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 ground but of course when you have bumpiness then that um that causes do they have a
2: way of lowering the car mid-race without people knowing it
0: um so
2: there i guess the question that's running through my mind is why can't they just measure height off the ground why do they have to rely on this very odd, like, how worn is the wood underneath the car
0: to determine how low the chassis is? I'll, I'll give this a shot, as I'm not an engineer. Cars, um, these cars do, they used to have things like adaptive suspension, but that was um, outlawed in Formula One, Um, and so that would be something where you can actively change the height of the suspension. I think they probably have some type of fixed suspension in Formula One, I'm not really sure how they do it. but. If they had it or not, I guess there are other ways, like you can design a car where you can have materials like carbon fiber that can bend under load, therefore running the car lower at higher speeds. So say that you have a bunch of air rushing over the car, that's pushing the car down because it's going over the wing, and it's going over the car. So you can build flex into the car that might be able to run it lower mid-race um, than it would be while stationary.
2: And and so they and they don't want it to run too low because why?
0: I think it's it might be like it's a good question. It might be a safety thing, or I'm I'm not sure. Um, I'm gonna assume it has to do with safety, though. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's, the it's, from it's me aerodynamics.
1: Cool. It's the the answer is aerodynamics.
2: Bizarre rules that that F1 has that that ultimately cause. Uh, viewers of the sport to
0: question uh, how necessary they are. Yeah. Yeah, it's it definitely makes the sport more interesting uh, because we have a completely different podium than we thought we had (laughs) just like a, a, a few
1: hours earlier yeah so 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 the point of the plank wear rule is to ensure teams are not running their cars too close to the ground. This can offer a performance benefit by increasing the downforce generated by the floors, which are especially powerful under the current ground effect
2: regulations. Why doesn't everyone just do that? Then? like why why not allow it and and anyone like that's part of the design of the car?
1: I think if you do get too low, though, it becomes a safety concern, yeah..
0: I, I, Because, I mean, I think this might have, I don't know for sure, but I think this might have to do with, um, there might be something weird that happens aerodynamically to cars, too, if they run too low. Like, I, I wonder if it's one because of, you know, cars running too low and skidding and the car having wear that way, and that causing a safety concern? Or is there something aerodynamically that happens to a car and causes it to, like, fling itself up in the air or something um, if it's running too low to the ground? You know, I, th- I think that there might be something like that that happens. Um, but yeah, maybe that could be a whole special topic sometime. Yeah, who who knew that
1: <laughs> scrutineering skid planks could be so uh, riveting?
0: Yeah. But yeah, that that's... Um... Well, I'm excited. Well, I think we um, we we this is a, just another North American track. I'm excited to hear what we have in terms of the the country. Not a quiz, um, but it's nice that we have so much uh, representation for Formula One races here in in North America.
1: Yeah, four races this year. Now uh, five yeah. races actually. Pardon me, because now we have three in the U.S. We have, of course, have one in Canada in Montreal, and uh, now we're in Mexico City.
0: Yeah, very cool.
1: All right, so let's dive a little bit into Mexico. Um, so just a disclaimer, normally I have all of my notes written out for what I want to talk about. But uh, this time around, I'm going all off the cuff. I have did all my research, but I didn't write a single thing down. And we're going all from memory. So sorry in advance if I get something wrong here. Oh, <laughs> you guys ready? Oh, I'm ready. Are you Are you ready? I guess it's the real question. <laughs> oh, I I was born ready for this, Paul. Yeah. Mexico. 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 <laughs> so that k- sound that you hear in Mexico is a fairly unique sound um, that you don't hear very often within other countries. You might hear it in Kazakhstan, you know, Kazakhstan, but that's actually from a KS. Mexico, of course, gets that sound from the letter X. So, would you happen to know how many other countries have the letter X in their name?
2: Letter X.
1: Or the sound. The letter X. Would you happen to know how many other countries have the letter X in their name?
0: Um, I'm going to give it some quick thought, but I'm I think this is going to probably be no other countries have the letter x. Um, I'm going to say I'm
2: going to say one other country, well, Doug, what's that one other
1: country? <laughs> <laughs> Why don't I give you a hint? I'll start with a bad hint first. So similar to Mexico, it also has the letter x in the third position, and it has vowels immediately preceding and following the letter x uh texas yeah <laughs> texas might think it's a country but uh <laughs> and with greg abbott as its president but uh no i'm not quite. uh mm. so a valid hint here would be that it borders france luxembourg luxembourg, luxembourg is the only other country that has the letter x um, so it's a very rare letter, obviously, to, to, to find within countries. Um, it's, it's the, the lowest—it's the, it's the letter that's found the least amongst all the countries, by only found, be, being found in Mexico and Luxembourg. Um, it's also only one of two nations—or, I'm sorry, it's, only, it's one of two letters that don't start a country— that is recognized as a uh, a nation by the United Nations. So there's only the letter X. There's no countries that start with the letter X. Uh, There's one other nation, or there's one other letter, excuse me, that that does not start uh, the name of a country um, as recognized by the United Nations. Would you happen to know what that letter is?
0: Probably towards the end of the alphabet, too. Or... Uh, um probably not Z. Probably not Y. Wait, okay. Let's just go through all of them. Um, I mean I was thinking it was Z.
2: I'm trying to think of like what countries have Zambia. A Z. Zimbabwe. Zimb- yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, Zimbabwe, duh. Um What's the letter we
1: love? With the sound that we're extra fond of. Is it W? Really? Yeah. No no other nations that are recognized as a nation. Um, starts with the letter W. So, I mean, you, you're, you're thinking maybe to yourself, Wales, right? But Wales is part of the United Kingdom. It's not a nation as formally recognized by, um, by the United Nations. Maybe you're thinking of Western Sahara. Who knows? You know, like, a, like its own little territory out there. Uh, but uh, nope, it's also not recognized. So the letter X and the letter W, kind of unique in that way. But um, I think that's enough, of, uh, enough about letters. Why don't we talk about Mexico and Mexico City a little bit itself? So Mexico City is the ninth, uh, in terms of capital cities, it's the ninth highest by elevation. Um, it's by far the highest elevation uh, country that we w- or it's the most, by far the most high- highest elevation city that we will have a Formula One race in. Um, are there are yeah. not.
2: There are eight other s- capital cities that are higher in elevation. That's um, correct. Yeah. Imagine a lot of them are probably in South America, right?
1: Yep. So a lot of them are in South America. I know for Bolivia's whichever capital you view as the ca- the rightful capital of Bolivia, whether it's La Paz or Sucre, are both higher in elevation. Quito is higher as well. Uh, interestingly enough, I'm just going to say this also: the capital of Yemen. Uh, is also, like, in the top eight. So I, I was kind of shocked to find that one out. But anyway, um, so, yeah, I mean, Mexico City is is the ninth uh, highest elevation capital city in the world. Um, because of that, I mean, we're, we're also... That makes this race the highest elevation race in Formula One. In fact, it's nearly three times uh, the elevation as the next highest uh, Formula One race, which is interlocking. This is starting to
2: sound like uh, track... Uh, tr- track overview and things like that, but uh, but I guess I'll let it slide.
1: <laughs> Sorry about that, Doug. It's um, you know it's 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 Mexico City, so it's it's interesting enough anyway. Um, but that high elevation actually impact ha- has an interesting impact on on Mexico City, um, and in 19- and that's. That's because of the lower levels of oxygen, it has a really negative impact on air pollution levels. It doesn't... Air pollution can't get cleared nearly as quickly. And in 1992, Mexico City was rated as the worst city in the world in terms of air pollution. In 92? In 1992. I mean, I came into the... I I knew that it was bad for air pollution, and... um I thought that it would actually still be one of the top, uh, the worst cities for air pollution. Um, but in fact, uh, now Mexico City is outside of the top 300. It's not one of the f- top 300 worst cities in the world for air pollution.
0: Nice. Good for that. So you're them. you're, you're, they you're do probably thinking
1: to yourself, what a great job that Mexico City did. But what you should be thinking of is, man, 300 cities... ...have surpassed the levels of uh, AQI, that, uh, the average AQI that Mexico City had back in 1992, which is exactly what has happened. Oh, my God. That's so, depressing. <laughs> yeah. So, so due to <laughs> rapid population growth, especially in Southeast Asia, uh, Mexico City now finds itself outside of the top 300 uh, cities for, for worst uh, average AQI, uh, air quality index, of course. Um. And I was looking it up, 97 of the top 100 cities in terms of worst uh, average AQI are all in Asia. So um, Asia, you know, it's, it's it has about 60% of the world's population, but uh, 97% of the world's worst cities for, for um, air quality. Yikes. Going to
0: have to uh, start bottling air.
1: I think so. Yeah. Um, And I don't know that there is a great way to fix it, because the population growth is still rising in many of the nations uh, that are that are now the worst offenders for. it. But, um, hey, let's talk about things. Let's talk. uh, I I propose that we we pivot away from that conversation. (laughs) That's good. Uh, and instead, uh, look to talk about some positive stuff. Maybe we talk about festivities for a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, uh, question for the both of you: Do you know when uh, what the day of Mexican Independence Day is?
0: Uh it's, uh, it's it's um this weekend. Doug, any guesses? Mexican Independence Day. Ass.
1: <laughs> Pass. Okay. Well, I was kind of hoping to lead you, lead one of you into a Cinco de Mayo conversation there, um, but uh, no, it's actually September 16th. Uh, okay. They, they, they. Um, yeah, I was, I was just hoping to get one of you, but I didn't. Okay, but it's okay. Um, so September 16th is when, uh, in 1810, is when they declared their independence from Spain. Of course, that was just a declaration of independence, uh, similar to in the U.S. in 1776. The U.S., it took us 13 years to beat the British. Um, the Mexicans, it took them only 11 years to, to get rid of the, the Mexicans. So, or excuse me, the Spanish. So, <laughs> uh, so pretty impressive. Um, but Cinco de Mayo, I do want to talk about very quickly. Because it is actually a holiday that originates in Mexico, although it is primarily now celebrated a lot more in the U.S. rather than um, in Mexico. It's definitely become a, a bit of a drinking holiday here in the U.S., and that's not how it started at all. Do either of you know at all about the origins of Cinco de Mayo?
0: Yeah, it's when uh, St. Pedro drove the snakes out of Mexico City. See, si, see, si, senor.
1: <laughs> not quite yeah. no uh no, so that, and of course it wouldn't be a a, a a country quiz if i couldn't try to bring france into it in some way shape or form uh so napoleon iii uh tried to invade mexico in 1862 and uh specifically when he was trying to invade mexico city uh before he was able to succeed uh they the the the, the Mexicans they, they beat him at the Battle of Puebla in 1862 on the 5th of May. And it was cause for a big celebration. And then in 1863 they managed to the French managed to come and succeed and actually take over Mexico City. Um so you know the celebration was um short-lived, I guess you can say, but uh the US and the Civil War, um, which was happening in 1863 and ended in 1865, once that ended, the U.S. came in and um, it started to provide some ammunition to Mexico. But then, in the end, it was uh, the U.S. Um, that managed uh, through diplomacy to get uh, Napoleon III um, to to agree to leave Mexico, and uh, Napoleon III. Was not Napoleon's grandson. He was Napole- uh, He was Napoleon's nephew. So somebody else can try to figure that one out. But uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that,
0: that's uh, that, that's just kind of an interesting one for you. Yeah, that's funny. Um, but really opens up um, what people can be named. I, th- I think I might be. I might name my my kids. Uh, I don't know. Just Right Remy more. the Second. Yeah, Remy the Second. How about that? <laughs> Perfect.
1: But right. uh, yeah, that's that's uh, S fin Que Yo Digo de Mexico.
2: Right. No tengo nada otro. Gracias. Okay. Uh, thanks, Remy, for that uh, insightful uh, country overview uh, and history lessons. P. E. C. Senor. Glad to have you back uh although paul's episode last week was uh was definitely solid with the uh, jeopardy board was Mm -hmm. was missing that a little bit but uh much more insightful remy
0: (laughs) Uh, i don't don't know about that i don't know if it was much more mm -hmm. insightful
2: (laughs) moving on to the uh track history uh uh track overview in cloud shapes uh I think to kick things off, this is a pretty exciting race. I think uh, as you kind of read about this race, when you watch this race, uh, the fans are insanely energized. It's a great environment. It would probably be a pretty epic place to go and see a, an F1 race, uh, especially because the city is uh, is really, really fun. Um, so jealous to the people who are, who are who are gonna be at this race. Getting into it, uh, location as we've discussed is Mexico City. Uh, And the the track was originally built in 1959. Uh, Does anyone here know any of the history of of the track? No. Is it me just trying to delegate my second? Of course, I know plenty. I know (laughs) that it's
1: in Mexico City and that it was built in 1959.
2: (laughs) Perfect. Okay, so. The father of Mexico's most famous racing brothers, Ricardo and Pedro Rodriguez, was an advisor to Mexican president Adolfo Lopez Mateo, and had a word in his boss's ear about building a racing circuit in Mexico City uh, in a sports park that they had uh, using uh, the existing kind of internal road. Uh the president liked the idea and ultimately worked on the track, uh, and it was completed in under a year. And so, uh, that's kind of how the the first track was was initiated. Uh, that track lasted from 1962, uh, which was uh, a non championship uh, F one race. Uh, first F1GP started in 1963, went through 1970. And then they ultimately replaced that track with, uh, with the current, uh, track with pre some modifications. We'll get into that. Uh, but it was, it's named after, uh, the, the name of the track is Hermanos Rodriguez, uh, Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez, uh, which is the, br- the, the, Rodriguez brothers, right? Nailed we'll get it. into kind of the. <laughs> we'll get into why it was named uh, after them, uh, and so ultimately Formula One cars uh, arrived, 1962, like I said, uh, and there were these kind of starts and stops, and so. Nineteen seventy it stopped, it came back in nineteen eighty six to nineteen ninety-two. Then it stopped again and started back up in twenty fifteen. Um in the last few years though, skipping ahead to kind of the last few years, Max has won uh the race uh for the last two years running. He's won the most out of anyone at this race. He's run won four years total. Uh, last year, Hamilton, Checo, Russell, and Sainz were kind of the the two through five uh, of that race.
0: Um, and so ultimately,
2: uh, it wasn't too much craziness, I would say, in the last several years. It was, it was a little bit of the same. Uh, and so the, really the interesting part about this track is, is, is in its history. Um, and so I'm going to give a little bit of an overview of like, uh, it's capacity track, uh, we'll go into cloud shapes and then we'll get into a little bit more of like the, the actual, uh, history of, of the track in the form of, uh, uh, the, the, the actual design of the track, which is, uh, pretty interesting. Uh, Before you so, do that,
1: Doug, has, has Checo ever won um, here? So you said uh, it restarted in 2015. Did Checo win, you know, in 2015, 16, 17, 18, or 19, I guess?
2: No, I don't think, I think so. Like yeah, no, I don't think so. Um. So just talking about Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez, inaugural race was in 1986. It's about 110,000 uh, person capacity, which is roughly three quarters. The seating capacity as coda uh, from yeah. last weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I did see a stat that somehow close to 400,000 spectators attend attended the race last year. Uh, and so the race weekend is how they measure it. Fair, but I think that they pack them in there. Yeah. Uh, my guess is they don't uh, uh, control it purely to a, a very specific capacity number. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is one of the shorter races uh, of the year. It's it's only about 2.7 miles. Uh, and so uh, it's roughly 71 laps. Uh, there's only one other race that is shorter than this race. Anyone guess which race that is? Monaco ding exactly. ding monaco ding. correct no i get a first and interestingly <laughs> interestingly the the lap record is a minute 17 seconds do you know who holds that lap record
0: uh well it's probably a fast lap. probably a fast lap so there's a chance that it's not max um i'm gonna go oh, with I mean, lewis hamilton on you I'm gonna I'm go- no? Oh, and i No, all right. No, really I, dig I,
2: deep. Really dig deep. All right. It wasn't who that. of all the people would you want?
0: I know. Feltory Botas is who it is. <laughs> it's be Botas right. in
2: 2021 <laughs> secured the fastest lap
0: at this track. Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, the reason I guess Lewis Hamilton is because, uh, you know, basically, it's, it was a downgrade from the prior generation of cars, to now so a lot of the lap records are set by Lewis Hamilton, who was like most dominant at the time. that time. It's great that Valtteri got it, though.
2: Um, all right. So, as as Remy alluded to, this is an insanely high up track. Uh, the altitude in Mexico uh, is over 1.2 miles high. It's a half a mile higher than Denver. For people who think of Denver as being a very high altitude place, uh, it's significantly higher than Denver. But you said, "He said, how high was it?
0: Uh, 1.2 miles." Ah, so so Denver's lying, right? Aren't they at the mile high city? You said it's half a mile higher than yeah, Denver. Denver is lying. Yeah, and I knew those. You can't trust those Coloradoans. Yeah, yeah, but they're higher than the people. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Yeah, I get that gets you the additional uh, 0.3 or whatever it was.
2: And so interestingly, the thinner air heavily affects uh, almost all components of the cars. The less oxygen going into the internal combustion engine means that the turbo has to work harder to mitigate that effect. The Turbocharger has to spin faster to generate more pressure. It also means uh, that it's under greater stress. Uh, and the lower air density also affects the cooling of the brakes and the power units. And so there's a lot of stress on the cars. There's a lot of stress on the drivers. Uh, and so uh, from that perspective, it makes it a fairly uh, unique race on the circuit. Uh, I think I think let's, let's keep going on this topic and, and we'll do cloud shapes after. Uh, I think getting into kind of the, the turns, there's 17 corners on this race. Uh, the most iconic is one called Peralta. Uh It's also the one that has kind of changed the most over the years in part because of how dangerous it is. Uh and so this the current kind of landscape of the of the track is is effectively this cur- or this turn is inside the baseball uh, uh, stadium that is now situated where they do the podium. It's a massive area that people can really, uh, uh, where a ton of spectators are. Uh, you can really see the cars going through it. Uh, there's a couple of turns there now, uh, and uh, and then they do the podium at the end, which is apparently a, an insanely electric experience. Uh, but the original uh, Araltada was a huge high-speed banked, 180-degree right-hander uh, helpfully fitted with almost zero runoff just to test the driver's metal. So Mexico's first F1 uh, Formula 1 race uh, was marred by tragedy. Uh, so this was in 1962, uh, this first uh, uh, race uh, hosted, the, as I mentioned, the non-championship event, uh, but the event was ultimately overshadowed by the death of a promising young Mexican driver, Ricardo Rodriguez, one of the brothers who the new track is named after. Uh, he, uh, he was in a Lotus uh, and suffered a suspension failure uh, at the entry to the Peraltada uh, and was ultimately killed when, he, when his car hit the barriers. Uh, then in 1970, so they the, kept the race. Several years go by. We're now in 1970. Uh, and uh, crowd control kind of chaos uh, ensued, and spectators surged onto the grass uh, uh, runoffs. A stray dog ran onto the track. Bottles were thrown onto the tarmacs. Uh, that summer, other brother pedro rodriguez died uh in a sports car race in germany uh and ultimately all of this kind of swirl uh caused mexico to stop doing uh doing the race altogether in 1970 comes back our 1986 new decade uh they decide to name their track after uh the brothers uh and they keep uh the Arotado. Uh it's still an insanely uh, aggressive turn. Uh it did shave off a little bit of gradient, uh, to make it slightly more manageable, given that now we've moved into an era where cars were uh more powerful, uh uh they were turbocharged. Uh and so Ferrari driver Nigel Mansell, uh uh effectively pulled off a pass that that uh uh was a self-proclaimed uh the most daring overtake maneuvers in F1 history by Nigel uh where a year later Ayrton Senna tried a similar overtake uh and absolutely uh uh crashed uh the car bottomed out wobbled uh and he hit the the tire wall uh They thought he was like devastatingly hurt because he was screaming uh uh as he was going to the medical center and they one of the uh uh drivers asked like wh- why why wh- I heard him screaming is he hurt they're like no he's okay he just had a rock lodged in his ear yikes yeah which is uh not a great yes. situation to be in yeah
0: uh
2: I think I would scream a lot,
1: too, if I had a rock lodged in my ear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt.
2: And again, given a lot of kind of the, the, the concerns with the corner and, and the race, uh, it fell off the, the, the calendar again. Um, and so now we're back, 2015. They've pretty much gotten rid of most of the corner. Uh, it didn't make the cut. They've modernized it. Uh, and they've added kind of this, this large baseball stadium uh, to, uh, uh, in its place, effectively. Uh, and so we've lost that very fast, aggressive turn forever. Uh, but I think it creates probably one of the, the most unique uh, spectator uh, uh, viewing
0: locations in all of F1. So this is the one where it goes through the stands, like the the racetrack goes through the stands, right? Yeah, exactly. I've definitely seen that. That's very cool. Um, So there are three DRS zones uh, in
2: Mexico. The first zone uh, is on turn nine. Uh, The following two zones uh, share a a detection point at turn 15. And yeah, let's jump into the uh, cloud shapes and and take a look at uh, the actual... It's uh, it's interesting
1: that they're able to squeeze three DRS zones into such a small track. Yeah, that's a good point.
2: Okay, so on to cloud
0: shapes. Anyone have any good ones? Yeah, so I've got a... My dad visiting right now, and he he I showed him this, and so I got his input. So I have a uh, a Sean uh, cloud shape, and then also Lindsay gave me one, and then I have my own too. So I have three today. So uh, and I'm that... just going to answer Doug's real question real
1: quick and say no, I don't have any good ones. But like <laughs> always, I have a bunch of great crowd cloud shapes. I bet yeah. I, I bet one, one of the ones I have, Paul though, is the same as your dad if if I know him.
0: All right, I'll do mine first. The one that uh, I came up with was, um, or maybe one of them came up with it, and maybe I'm just adopting it, was a, a squirt gun. It's kind of gun-shaped if it, if the gun's facing leftwards. I think it kind of looks like a gun. I see, Remy, you're nodding your head. You got the same thing?
1: Yeah, I think that's uh, that's um, uh, very, very easy to see.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. What about you, Doug? You got anything?
2: I think, I think Remy's trying to pick a fight with me because I said that I do not see anything, but. <laughs> I actually didn't hear you say that. I was, go,
1: I was um, using the, the Lou when you said that. Um, I think the one that I had, so yeah. The oh, squirka. Gun- yeah, the, the squirker. <laughs> uh, uh, El Baño. I was using El Baño when Good, I, much when better. I Good. said that. Um, yeah. Know your audience. I think that the, the one that the one that I see that I think your dad would have seen too is a B2 self-bomber.
0: Oh, he didn't get that one at all. He he. So he went with the upside down one. If you turn it upside down, um, and you uh, he, he gave beanbag chair, um, mm-hmm. like kind of you know, where you know beanbag chairs kind of deformed to the shape of a a chair, and they usually have like a, a higher back. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, so I thought that was a good one. Using that same um, that's that same rotation orientation. Uh, yeah orientation rotation potato potato but Lindsay went with um it looks like a she said it looks like a viking longship um where the so this is again the upside down orientation where you have the the dragon on the bow of the ship um and i guess it kind of be like coming at you from a diagonal is kind of the way that it comes out
1: anyone want to comment on my b2 stealth bomber you know, yeah, I even went and looked up what it was.
2: It was a good one, yeah, yeah. Kind of like, like a... it was like insanely maldeformed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it crashed.
1: One, one, one that's uh, <laughs> getting warped because it just got hit by something, you know, <laughs> or it's going so fast that it warped. Oh yeah, exactly.
2: I was like, I, the the only one that I just keeps jumping into my head is an ice pick, where like the pick is the bottom right. Mm-hmm. And the handle is like it's kind of a thick handle, but uh so so
1: yeah, so Paul, can you see me, Paul, can you see North Carolina in this at all?
0: Uh yeah, it's got a rough shape of North Carolina in the normal iteration. Yeah, a little bit more than Yeah, if, yeah, I think Virginia if you like flipped it upside down, if you use the upside down orientation. Yeah. Or or the normal yeah, or warped Virginia. Yeah, I could see that too instead of West Virginia. Yeah,
1: definitely.
0: Not I, think Virginia. Ha- I think it would have, I think
1: it isn't Virginia also. It would be upside down, but also mirror image.
0: Virginia is roughly triangular. Yeah. So I think we have some good ones. So Doug, what was yours again? Ice pick. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I got. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like that one.
1: Yeah, if it's Virginia, you'd have to flip it on the 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 vertical axis mirror.
2: Yeah. I think that's common in
0: Mexico, right? Mhm. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I think we nailed it. Good job guys. I think we got Perfect. the uh, the shape of the track perfectly. All right, just to uh, all right. So we just crushed the uh, cloud shape segment. Uh, We crushed everything else. Now we're bringing us to the special topic portion of the podcast. So I guess a question first: Have you guys heard of F1 Academy? I I know I told you guys I was doing F1 Academy as a uh, as a special topic for this week. But how about this? How about you guys tell me what you think F1 Academy is. Well, Doug and I linked up before this, and
1: we both prepared our number two pen, uh, p- uh, pencils, and we are both ready for you to put us through the ringer of F One Academy, Paul.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, so you think it's a it's a school that uh, I'm gonna put you through? Okay, that's what that's what Remy's guess is. Doug, what would you say? What do you think F One Academy is?
2: I think it is uh,
0: like PR school. Like PR school. Yeah. Like public relations. Yeah. All right, so I can say that you are <laughs> are both wrong. Uh, so I, I think it's a sandwich.
1: Wait, 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 wait Doug. What, what do you th- what do you mean? It's like PR school. Can you explain like, that a little bit? Anyone who
2: joins the F one has to like keep up the image and likeness of F one, and they can't be doing things that are. Uh, so they have to join this F one academy to like learn
0: how to like act. All right. So let me. So okay. So it's that's not it. Um, all right. Let me. I'm going to ask you some more questions. So you guys like Formula One, right? You you like racing? You guys have a Formula One podcast, so I would assume the answer. CC me
1: gusto Formula One. All right. Yep. Okay.
0: Doug, you too? Yes.
1: All right. And you guys both like women? CC me gustan las ladies,
0: las chicas. But Doug, you're married to one, so I assume your answer is yes. Yes. All right. Can you guys both name one female driver? In the Formula One umbrella of uh, of, of racing, no
1: female driver,
0: cool. uh, Susie Su- uh,
1: Wolf. <laughs>
0: it's actually funny that you mentioned her. Okay, so what we're talking about today, what is Formula One Academy? Formula One Academy is a female only racing championship that is new to Formula One. So, they, this is the first year of F1 Academy, it's a um it's an attempt to get women into, into motorsport. And it's funny that you mentioned Susie Wolf because she's actually the person that is the managing director of F1 Academy. Um, So yeah, so this um, is, it's, like I said, it's, it's, it's brand new. Um, It's part of uh, Formula Motorsport, which is um, a division of Formula One, uh, like the Formula One brand Formula One Motorsport is mostly responsible for all the feeder series like Formula Two and Formula Three. Um, So Formula One Academy is just one more addition to the Formula One feeder series uh, pyramid. So uh, the way that they are thinking about Formula One Academy is that uh, it'll take women drivers, put them in Formula One Academy, and then they can start the, uh, the path to Formula One through Formula Three, and Formula Two first before they get on to Formula One, um, so we don't we never really talk about these other other uh, series that are underneath Formula One. But yeah, so just there there is Formula Two, there's Formula Three, there's a Formula Four out there. Uh, there are other Formula regional events like there's a uh, regional S- Spain Formula um, series. There's also uh, an Italian one. Um, so there's a bunch of Feeder series out there that we don't normally talk about on this podcast, but that's how young talent is developed. Yeah, that's where Logan Lawson.
1: Did, he didn't. Did he come from uh, F two? No, he came from a different racing series,
0: didn't he? When he filled in for Danny Rick, I'm not sure, but I would say that probably all drivers on the grid right now came up through Formula Three and Formula Two. I would say. Nick, I don't. Nick, uh, Nick DeVries was like the champion of F two for for a number of years as
1: well, yeah, wasn't he? That's and right. then- and then he didn't do so well in Formula One.
0: You know. That's right. And, and actually, in order to compete in Formula One, from what I remember, you have to have something called a super license. And you need points for that license. And I think you get those by participating and winning in these other um, series that are out there. Formula E is not a part of this. Formula E, I don't think, is a part of the Formula One division, I don't think. Um, but there are people, are drivers on the current grid that have participated in Formula E. I think some of the new drivers have. I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, but Formula E is not a traditional path for people to take since it's such a new thing. So, uh, so yeah, Formula
1: One, Formula Two, Formula Three, F1 Academy, and F- Formula E.
0: You know if Formula E's out there someplace. Um, but yeah, so as we mentioned, um, this is being uh, Susie Wolf is a managing director of Formula One Academy. Uh, she's Total Wolf's wife. Um, and she herself, uh, I learned, was a professional racing driver. Um, she was actually signed by Williams at some point uh, as their as part of their driver development program. And she was the last woman to participate in a Formula One weekend. Um, So she participated in a Formula One weekend in 2015, when she was a part of one of the practice sessions. And at that point, she was the first woman to take part in a Formula One One weekend in 22 years, and no one's done it since. So there's huge gaps where there just hasn't been any uh, female uh, participation in, in Formula One. You you mean specifically as as
1: drivers, right? Because there are team members that are that are women for sure. Yeah, exactly. Strategists, strategists, the 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 main the primary strategist for Red Bull.
0: Yep, that's right. Um, so this so as I mentioned, this 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 kind of fits below Formula Three, but there's another. It actually fits above Formula Four. Um, there was another similar women only racing series called the W Series a few years back, but they ended it because of financial problems. Um, and another problem with that series is that they were not technically a part of the Formula 1 umbrella uh, for uh, as much as I can tell. So they didn't have the sponsorship of Formula 1 in a lot of cases. The finances are really a big part of this. Um, in, in the W Series, uh, it was entirely... People were entirely. The drivers were entirely sponsored by the W Series itself, um, and they were also reliant on investors at that point. The way that they're organized here is F1 Academy uh, gets some subsidization from F1. F1 puts something like hundred fifty thousand dollars per driver, or something like that, um, into the into this sport, and then also drivers. Any additional costs that drivers have to uh, bring sponsors themselves in. So a lot of these women that are coming into Formula One Academy have their own sponsors coming into it. So it's a little bit more stable, I would say. Um, so the the, the format itself, they had uh this first se- season, they had 21 races over seven weekends. Um so that's if you do the math, that's they're doing three races in a weekend. Uh, and I have the list here. They're, they mostly are aligned with the Formula One calendar. So when we went to Austin last year, there were there and or if you go to any Formula One race, there are typically sub races that happen before the main event. So you might have a Formula Two event, you might have a Formula Three event. In this case, they have F1 Academy races that are happening before Formula One on any race weekend. And so they're racing at places like Monza, Zandvoort. Barcelona, uh, they're racing in Austria. They just and they just ended the season in um, Austin, Texas. That was the last race of the of the uh, Formula One Academy season. And so, so does a ticket to, for example, if you had bought
1: a ticket to the Formula One weekend at Austin, does that give you access then to
0: the um, F1 Academy races as well? Yep, it sure does. Yep, you get to see everything that happens before the main Formula One race. And uh, they're also doing things like broadcasting this on YouTube, Um, but yeah, they're just trying to get uh, interest in the sport, this being the first year. Uh, You might see from the picture, so there were five teams that participated uh, in Formula One Academy. Uh, Each team has three drivers, and I'll go into some of the drivers in a little bit. Um, But in terms of the car that they're racing, they're basically all racing the same car. It's a standardized chassis. Uh, you know, they're all using the same engine. This is all to keep costs low. It's a much smaller car than a formula one car. It basically just looks like a miniature, um, formula one car. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of just to keep costs low. How fast do they go? Um, it produces, uh, I think it's zero to 60 in three something seconds is what I heard. Uh, that has 165 horsepower. It's a very light car. um, they're not going nearly as fast as Formula 1 cars. I don't know what their top speed is, but 0 to 60 in 3-something seconds, which is pretty fast. All right, so I'm showing you a picture of uh, the some of the women that are part of Formula 1 for this year. I'm just going to highlight a few of them since this is all new to us. We don't know any of these drivers, but there's a possibility that we might know some of them in the future. If Formula One Academy is successful, and if some of these people move on to other series, potentially Formula One. Um, so I'm going to highlight four people today: um, Marta Garcia, who won the Formula One Academy for this this past year. Uh, there's also two sisters, Amna Al Kabasi and Hamda Al Kabasi, uh, and then also Bianca uh, Bustamante. Um, so we'll go into Marta. First. What What country are the sisters from? I'll tell, I'll tell you in a bit. I'll go, I'll go through that in a, in a second. Um, so first is uh, Marta Garcia. Uh, a lot of these drivers are fairly young. Uh, Marta is kind of like mid-pack, I would say. Uh, she's 23 years old. She's from Spain, and she won 20, the 2023 Formula One Academy Series. Um, she's also competed in the W Series before, of course, it went defunct. Um, and in the Formula One, in the W Series, in its last season, she finished in sixth place there. Um, and then back in 2017, she was also a member of the Renault and Alpine Academy, but was dropped after a season for performance issues and also partially because of economic issues. I think she couldn't get sponsors. Um, but next year, instead of staying in Formula One Academy, she's going to be moving on to one of the regional Formula Series. Um, which is a step between F4 and F3. So roughly on par with Formula One Academy, I would say. Uh, the next person I'll just highlight again, since we don't really know these people, is Bianca Bustamante. This girl is 18 years old. She's from the Philippines, uh, and but she splits her time in between the Philippines and also San Jose, California. Um, but she's competed in both w series and formula four and she's the first female driver that's been signed by mclaren that was announced not too long ago so she's now part of the mclaren driver development program which is pretty special um actually it, in this most recent not only did she race at austin in the formula one academy series but they also showed her in the mclaren garage hanging out she got a lot of tv time uh so some people might have seen her um and another it's just a fun fact I, I found about her she uh these drivers have to come up with their own sponsorship money uh she, they, her her team made some nfts a while back to help fund her career <laughs> so i thought that was kind of cool um and uh she seems to have this personal brand called dark horse so her nfts were named after her dark horse brand
1: uh, honestly she's got an elite name you know i'm i'm a firm believer in a, in a name kind of driving an athlete in a way and bianca bustamante is an elite formula one driver (laughs) name
0: yeah bb you should call her bb no 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 then you lose then no no then
1: you lose the greatness of the name
0: (laughs) all right we'll, we'll we'll stick with the the full bianca bustamante all right uh, last, we have the the sisters from uh, the UAE. We have uh, Amna Al-Kabasi and Hamda Al-Kabasi. So these are both sisters, of course. They both are competing in the F1 Academy. Uh, Amna is 23 and Hamda is 21. Um, so they're both UAE citizens. But one thing that I found interesting about uh, Amna, that was that she was born about an hour and a half from where I am right now in D.C. She was born in Virginia, in Washington, Virginia. Um, so their dad is this guy named Khalid Al kabasi and he does um, real estate and infrastructure investments in the UAE for some group called Mubadala Investment Co, which is a state-owned holding company and part of the sovereign wealth um, emirate of uh, a sovereign wealth fund of the emirate of Abu Dhabi. And uh, he has American education. He went to uh, George Washington University and Boston University. But he's also a racer in his own right. So that's why his daughters probably gotten into the sport, too, of course. Um, but they both have some experience in the other series, Formula 4, Formula E, Formula Regional, W Series. Um, and uh, Hamda was uh, the first woman in the history of Italian F4 to score a, a podium. So that's kind of cool. But yeah, that's pretty much it. That's what I got for Formula One Academy. But I kind of expect that we'll be seeing some of these names in the future. I wouldn't be surprised if some of them in a few years, especially Bianca Bustamante, wind up in in a Formula One seat. So that'd be cool to see.
1: With a name like that, I think it's inevitable. Um, can can you go back to the the picture that you had with everybody? Yeah. What, what's what's unique to to me about this is the diversity of the countries that the drivers are coming from, and that you see drive uh, you see countries that you typically don't see a lot of F one drivers for from. So um, so you see Switzerland. You see United Arab Emirates. I think that's uh, so so Philippines with Bianca. Um, and um, I think is that Argentina down there at, in in last place as well, or is that Uruguay? I can't tell because it's I think kind Uruguay of far is away. Of the sun. Yeah, yeah, but I mean that's that's so interesting to me. It's, is is um, is the diversity of these these drivers. Yeah,
0: it's very cool, and I think yeah, it's just an interesting um, idea, and I, maybe we're getting at this diversity of drivers yeah who knows why i mean the uae is uh i mean it's it's also kind of who can afford it because you need to bring your own sponsorship i wonder if that's the same for other drivers and f4 and f3 i kind of assume it's kind of the same but i wonder if that would give i don't know give us more diversity of countries yeah that would be an interesting comparison yeah All right, now we're to everybody's favorite part of the podcast. This is the haiku ending portion of the podcast, where we spent nearly minutes developing haikus to close out the episode. Um, How are we feeling? Have we got some good haikus out there?
1: Typically, I like to think of mine well in advance,
2: but I got to tell you, today I mailed it in. Oh, no. All right. Uh, Doug, how are you feeling? I like to use uh, the information that comes to me during the podcast to come up with my haikus.
0: And I've done that this time as well. Nice. You find inspiration in the episode. I like it. All right, Remy. So uh, since you mailed it in, you want to just get your, uh, peel the Band-Aid? Uh, get yeah, yours. Uh, get it first. over it's with. So yeah. weird that you said that. I literally just peeled a
2: Band-Aid off my arm.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a uh, uh, life imitating art. It's, yeah, it's forecasting for what's about to happen here. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Ready? Uh, born Mexico right. City. Los autos de carreras, me gustan esos.
0: All right, can we get the English translation? Race cars, I like them. <laughs> Beautiful. It really gets syllables, to
1: the sp- five syllables in Spanish. Thank you,
0: Spanish. It really gets to the soul of the Mexican GP. Well done. All right, uh, Doug, coin flip, or you want me to go first? I'll uh, go. Okay. Okay, blend on you, Paul. All right, sounds good.
2: F1 Academy. Bianca Bustamante. Hopefully, it grows. Say what? <laughs> you, Doug. Uh,
1: what?
0: <laughs> Are we not doing phrasing with our haikus? I mean, it's a, the, it's the modern version of "That's what she said." All right, well, you you guys ready? Dios mio. La ciudad de Mexico, Vamonos Checo. I see some counting. <laughs> yeah, it, feels, it feels off, but I like it. Hey, it's the spirit of it, right? It's the Mexican spirit that came through, syllable count or no syllable count. I think I nailed it perfectly. Yeah, um, I, I was
1: trying to do. I, I was trying to do the one with Checo there too, and I, I kept thinking to myself, Vamos, Checo. "Vamo Checo, Bamo. But um, but That's it is Vamonos for "Let's go," isn't it? Yeah, let us go. Yeah.
0: All right, beautiful. Well, this was another perfect episode of the Formula One uh, views from the Safe Car Podcast, uh, Formula One podcast. Uh, until next time, what's what's our next one? We got we have a uh, another US Brazil G- is ne-
1: Brazil is the weekend after Mexico, so we'll be back in your
0: ears next week. Hell yeah! And then Las Vegas, and then uh, whatever the last one is. Dubai. Dubai. All right, cool. Well, until uh, Brazil, then we'll say goodbye. Bye bye. Adios. See everyone. Puede caminar porque no tiene, porque le falta la patita principal, la cucaracha, la cucaracha ya no puede caminar porque no tiene, porque le falta la patita principal, la patita principal, la patita principal. La patita principal.